0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Goodwill Meditation Group Webinar for Wednesday the 20th of July 2021. My name is Dominic Dibble, I work from the London Centre and today I'll be joined by my colleagues Michael Galloway from New York and Minza van der Velde from Geneva. And together they'll be addressing the theme of the problem of the refugee. As many of you will know, this Goodwill Meditation Group is a worldwide group of people who link up each Wednesday at noon to meditate on goodwill the group aims to stimulate and strengthen the goodwill that is expressed by humanity as a whole this webinar meets the last wednesday of each month and provides a platform for individuals to come together to use the goodwill meditation and to discuss our work. Goodwill is love in action and exists in all human relationships that carry a note of loving intention. It is a positive and dynamic energy and can be utilised consciously for the betterment of humanity and all the kingdoms of nature in essence it's the name that we give to the potent energy of divine will as it is expressed through human relationship this powerful energy overcomes all separating forces and has the potential to transform all aspects of our societies and the earth goodwill redeems It unifies and reveals the essential goodness underlying all phenomenal expression. The existence of goodwill is evidence of the link between humanity, the spiritual hierarchy, and God. Before we continue, let's just pause for a a moment or so of silence. And then we'll say together the mantra of the new group of world servers. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servants. May the love of the one soul characterise the lives of all who seek to aid the Great Ones. May we fulfil our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness harmlessness and right speech So today we're reflecting on the problem of the refugee. Now, the problems of humanity, as many of you will know, is the name that we give to the complex, interrelated set of issues that currently confront the evolution of human consciousness. And the problem of the refugee is part of the wider problem of the minorities, which in its turn is closely connected with the problem of the psychological renewal of the nations. Minorities are only perceived as such relative to majority communities, which in our modern age tend to be nation states. And minorities often form in nation states through the process of migration. There is, however, an important distinction to be made between a migrant and a refugee, because a refugee is strictly defined in international law as a person who is fleeing persecution or conflict in their country of origin. No such exact definition exists for a migrant. So a refugee is seeking refuge a place of safety and by this act <clears throat> they highlight the fact that the fourth ray of harmony through conflict is and continues to be a major conditioning factor in human affairs and that sadly conflict currently predominates in many places The act of seeking refuge is connected with the ancient tradition of sanctuary, a holy place which is also a safe haven for those who fear persecution. While this tradition may no longer be recognised in law, it still retains ethical and moral force, and it resonates with the esoteric vision of a future where human human society is itself fundamentally holy because it recognizes the divinity at the heart of all creation and the subtle web of relationships which connect all beings. So in one sense, we are all exiles or refugees from that ideal state and our work, both subjectively and meditation, and objectively in our daily lives, is to contribute towards bringing this ideal of a regenerated society into being, one where all people can find sanctuary and refuge. As we work in a meditation, we can reflect on our responsibilities at every level of relationship for building a lighted sanctuary in which all can find refuge. So now we're going to move into our meditation Before we begin, let's recall we're sharing this effort with thousands of other people of goodwill around the world, and we can also recall that this meditation happens every Wednesday at noon, and it's just a webinar which only happens once a month. So please remember to participate on the other weeks. And we realize that essentially we are souls, and as such we have telepathic rapport with all souls. And bearing in mind that energy follows thought, we recognize that meditation is not a passive, reflective form of devotion, but a positive, creative use of the mind, actively linking the inner and outer worlds. We can use the creative imagination to see ourselves at one with all humanity and with all that is progressive, spiritual and working for human welfare and right human relations. So now we link up in thought with all people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation. We reflect upon the fact of relationship. We're all related to our family. We're related to our communities. related to our nation. Related to the world of nations, and we are related to the one humanity made up of all peoples and nations. we use the mantra of unification the souls of all are one and I am one with them I seek to love not hate I seek to serve and not exact due service I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Reflect upon your, your own and humanity's relationship with all those beings who we perceive of as dwelling in the higher realms of mind and heart. Those who are spoken of as the spiritual hierarchy of saints and rishis, of bodhisattvas and masters those who are honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. We imagine we're standing together within the center of this spiritual hierarchy. And we're immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. This heart of love has many names. It's known as the Christ, the and the Maitreya, the Imamadi, the Kalki Avatar. Many names for the same being. Maintaining that high point of contact, allow your thoughts to reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Within our minds, we use the affirmation. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the Divine Self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualize the energy of love flowing from the hierarchy through all people of of goodwill and flowing onwards into the hearts and minds of all people everywhere, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships and restoring peace on earth. Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which this dynamic energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems and healing all differences and cleavages. And together in thought, with people of goodwill all over the world, we say the Great Invocation with deliberation and full commitment to its meaning, recognizing we are radiating its potent energies to humanity. May the coming one return to earth. From the centre where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the centre, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power Restore the plan on earth.
1: Um mm. Everyone and thank you, Dominic, for that um, excellent meditation and introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna give a short presentation on the problem of the refugee. And before I do so, I'd just like to upload the transcript for a few people who I know prefer to follow along, but for some reason, there's been an error. So give me just one moment. And I'll see what's happening. Alrighty, there we go. All right, so the problem of the refugee is a very, um, very pressing one. The number of refugees has steadily increased since 2012. This has serious ramifications for global geopolitics, for economics, um, and for human rights. So today we will discuss this problem I'd like to discuss this problem um, and how it affects each of these fields of human living human civilization um, and my colleague mince van der veld from geneva will also share a few thoughts on the u.n human rights council the u.n high commissioner for refugees um, after after i'm done and then we will have time for some group discussion so if you have any questions or comments please hold those um, until that time So, as well as this being a, an issue of uh, geopolitics, of economics, and security, it's important to keep in mind that this problem of the refugees is also very much a problem of human suffering at the individual level. Refugees often suffer from acute psychological trauma. There's the trauma of war, the trauma of separation from loved ones, the trauma of fleeing one's ancestral home, and of course, a lack of basic needs for oneself and one's family. Refugees, when they arrive at their host countries are often not afforded the basic dignity and human rights. Um, They're often denied the right to work or to travel outside of refugee camps. Um, And sometimes they're turned away uh, outright. So this is as much a crisis for these individuals um, as it is for their nations and for the entire human race. And it is a really a moral dilemma, a moral problem that is global in scope and touches all of us. So alongside this very, what is very much a moral consideration, it is important though to really understand the problem to investigate and to dive into its effects on the institutions, governments, the regimes, um, that govern human civilization such as international and domestic politics, economics, um, and security policy, both international and at the national level. For countries of origin, for instance, the countries where refugees originate or are fleeing from, some of these problems might be uh, that refugee outflows cause um, some sort of negative economic effects on that country. There's the flight of human capital. Um, There is the flight of you know, financial capital. There's also um, a disproportionate number of the country's skilled workers which may leave and sometimes they don't even return. So even in post-conflict situations, the refugee situation doesn't end. Um, for host countries, the problem is often one more of security and of stress on the institutions of governance. Um, also destabilizing of very what can be very delicate political coalitions in states that are very fragile. Um, so before going any further, it's, I'd like to just give you all a very uh, concise definition or really the internationally agreed upon definition of what a refugee is. So according to the 1951 Convention on Refugees, a refugee is someone who is forced to flee their country because of quote, a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a, of a particular social group or political opinion," end quote. Um, today, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees considers a refugee anyone who is fleeing from persecution, war or violence and has crossed an international border in order to seek safety. It's important to note also that internally displaced persons who flee conflict and are displaced within their own country are excluded from the definition of what is a refugee. These people are often in just as much dire need of assistance um, as those who do flee across international borders. Um, and their numbers are often much greater as well. For instance, in, the, in Syria, uh, UNHCR estimates that between 2011 and 2020, million people fled that country, but actually 6.6 million uh, became internally displaced. So the foremost material cause of the refugee problem is of course, conflict. Refugee flows were actually steadily declining after 1992, and this mirrored a decline in interstate war. However, they have since risen since 2012 um, in both their numbers, scope, and severity. Excuse me, sorry. The, refugee, the number of refugees has risen since 2012 and this mirrors an increase in civil conflicts. Civil conflicts are notably more violent than interstate conflicts and they provide a more direct threat to civilians as well. They are more often accompanied by breakdowns in governance sort of anarchy, and um, they also operate entirely outside of the purview of international humanitarian law. Humanitarian crises, such as drought, famine, or lack of food and basic services, um, can also uh, accompany civil war, and they can also by themselves be motivating factors causing people to flee their country. As I've said, refugee inflows have a destabilizing effect on national politics in the host countries, the countries that refugees flee to. Um, One example is in 2014, Lebanon was hosting over um, one million refugees, which is over 18% of its native population. This has destabilizing cultural and of course political effects as well. In Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel's decision to opt for an open border policy towards refugees in 2015 um, resulted in a definite economic strain, though it was temporary, Uh, but it also led to the rapid rise of right-wing political groups um, in that country and it also fueled some anti-EU populism across Europe. In Palestine and Lebanon, of course, both housing a lot of refugees, large number of refugees. Um, the refugee crisis has um, empowered or helped to um, promote um, Islamic fundamentalist political groups such as Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, so these large refugee flows also have some adverse effects um, on the countries of origin as well. Excuse me, it also has a significant effect on the um, economic uh, situation in those host countries. It puts a, um, there's a high cost for instance, of dealing with refugees. This can include um, the need to increase, increase infrastructure to deal with refugee inflows. There's also the salaries of those who administer refugee flows the cost to increase various types of capacity of legal systems. Um, there's also the additional cost of security to manage the inflow of people. Um, there's, also the, there's also the economic concern that an influx of cheap labor will drive down wages, increase un, and increase unemployment for Native populations. This is especially problematic for countries that seek to integrate countries, seek to integrate refugees into their uh, refugee population and into their workforce. this is something really that UNHCR and really all the human rights people are really pushing for because refugees need to be um, integrated. They need to have the right to work in order for their human rights to really be fulfilled. Um, The adverse effects on countries of origin, these are primarily economic. Uh, they include, as I said earlier, reduction in human capital, brain drain or the flight of expertise, and also the flight of capital uh, from, that, from that country. Um, these effects though, are notab- most notable in post-conflict situations when the refugees who have fled choose to remain in their host countries rather than return. Um, and this is most a problem with um, middle-income countries rather than poor-income countries. Oftentimes in poorer countries, refugees actually don't have, or people who would become refugees actually don't have the economic means to flee their country. And so they're, in a sense, sort of trapped there in the conflict situation and cannot leave. Um, Additionally, when there is sort of an economic crisis from the Leaving of all this uh, human expertise, capital, et cetera, it makes the post-conflict situation more difficult, as I said. One of the big dangers of that is it actually inhibits the post-conflict reconstruction process. So after a war, for instance, there's a severe sort of economic crisis in the country. A lot of the infrastructure is destroyed. Um, The economy is usually in shambles. Um, There aren't jobs, there aren't businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And in order to sort of restart the process, a lot of capital is needed. There's a lot of uh, domestic expertise that is needed to kind of regrow domestic uh, national capacity for doing different things. The big issue though, is if this takes too much time, studies show that the likelihood of falling back into conflict, conflict recidivism is much, much greater. So there's really a very small window um, in order to do that. Looking at security from a security perspective, uh, those host countries, they're often faced with a really difficult uh, moral dilemma. And that is the dichotomy of a choice between uh, national security on one hand, which seeks to protect the lives and rights of one's own citizens, and the security and human rights of those outside of their national borders. The big security concern with refugees is, of course, terrorism and terrorists who may embed themselves um, and uh, disguise themselves as as refugees to enter a country. Uh, Many, of course, argue that the state has no moral obligation to anyone but its own citizens. And at least that when these two are at odds, it is the foremost moral responsibility of the state to protect their own citizens. On the other hand, there is uh, another camp that believes states do have a moral obligation um to all people and that this should extend beyond their borders at the highest sort of moral altruism and really the moral requirement of states should uh and must be to uh, must go outside their national borders and affirm the equality both in dignity and their essential human nature of all men and women throughout the world Regardless of these two kind of competing uh, moral stances on the, on the issue, um, the human rights of refugees are mandated by international law. This is not in question. Um, though this requirement is often uh, ignored or denied, it does apply to all refugees which arrive at a state's border and they cannot, according to international law, turn them away or deny them their basic human rights as outlined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All right, so uh, quickly to conclude, what is being done on this problem? Um, So there is a great deal being done on the humanitarian front to address the refugee crisis. Um, There's also the uh, development of human rights norms that are increasing that uh, help promote the right treatment of refugees. The most comprehensive international agreement in this regard is the Global Compact for Refugees. This was uh, passed by the UN General Assembly in 2018, following two years of negotiation and deliberation. Its aim is to create a framework for, the, for responsibility sharing and international cooperation with regard to the global refugee crisis. Its four key objectives are one, to ease the pressure on host countries, many of whom share an, uh, an unequal burden, especially countries that are neighboring countries who are in conflict. Second objective is to enhance refugee self-reliance. Third is to expand access to third country solutions. The fourth is to support conditions in countries of origin for return in safety and dignity. Um, importantly, the compact does seek to address some of the root causes of refugee movements, especially heightened international efforts to prevent and resolve conflict. And along this line of really addressing the root material cause of the refugee problem, the UN is doing a lot to um, continue to work in conflict prevention and resolution. So the UN reform and so one of the one of the uh, greatest things that it's done in this regard in the past five years or so is the uh, the UN reform process, which was initiated in 2017, and this seeks to position the UN to better fulfill its mandate, which as we know is to prevent, mitigate and resolve conflict as well as other things. So this UN reform, it cuts across nearly all aspects of the UN's work. Uh, One of its primary goals is to put development at the heart of the UN's agenda by achieving the UN sustainable development goals. Um, These goals deal with many aspects of governance. And of course, if they are achieved, they would create a world in which conflict is much less likely. It's important to remember that development alone um, is not enough to reduce conflict. Many conflicts are actually caused by political fragmentation rather than by a lack of resources. Um, So the current UN reform, though, goes beyond just development and it seeks to really reform the entire UN peace and security pillar. It is being designed to address what's called peace diplomacy and also conflict prevention. And it does this through um, early warning capabilities. This has required a complete organizational restructuring, which amongst other things empowers decision makers at the country level with new resident coordinator positions in each country where the UN functions This aims to enable the UN to respond more quickly and to fulfill its mandate more efficiently. It will also make the UN more capable on the ground, um, which is important for addressing political emergencies as they arise and to prevent conflict. Um, The reform will also help to integrate the work of various UN agencies under the leadership of these in-country resident coordinators. Previously, the various institutions of the UN, uh, were working in parallel and somewhat uncoordinated fashion. They weren't totally coordinated. Some of their work was overlapping or duplicated. Very importantly, the coordinators also act as liaisons with the host government. This has been to promote national ownership in post-conflict situations um, and also in non-post-conflict situations where there's a lot of development going on to make sure that these national um, Organizations, the national institutions are built to be self-reliant um, and are built in a way that that nation wants them to be built, which is a very, very important thing for long-term um, integrity of those institutions. And so I'd like now to pass on the microphone to my colleague Minsa Vanderbilt, who's going to share just a few more thoughts on the UN. Um, Commissioner for Human Rights.
2: Thank you, uh, Michael. I will not focus on the High Commissioner for Human Rights. We did that last week or last month, but I will. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I keep saying the wrong one. Okay, I mean. But many people do. Many people don't even know the difference. So that's why I want to highlight the High Commissioner for Refugees. Well, thanks anyway for your very complete presentation, and thanks, Dominic, for the very uh, very good and inspiring meditation at the opening of this session. The, the Tibetan doesn't really address uh, migration or refugees very explicitly. There are, as Dominic already said, a couple of references in problems of humanity and the externalization of hierarchy, but mostly in the context of the Great War, which was still uh, a point of focus at that time. The problems related to refugees and migrants, two different things, as Dominic noted, however, are implicitly addressed when we consider the one humanity, the world disciple. Dominic talked about already the problem of minorities, about about which much is to be found in the Alice Bailey books. In our last webinar, we focused on the Human Rights Council, which operates in Geneva. It is perhaps interesting to look at it at that concept of human rights from an historical perspective, taking into account the universal declaration of human rights, which is at the basis of all of this, but that was established in 1948, of course, in a reaction on the Great War. The Human Rights Council, closely related to the the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, is a department of the Secretariat of the United Nations that works to promote and protect human rights that are guaranteed under international law and stipulated in the Universal Declaration. The office was established by the UN General Assembly only in 1993, that's no more than 28 years ago. However, 70 years ago, The the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees was created in 1950 to address the refugee crisis that resulted from World War II. The 1951 Refugee Convention in Geneva established the scope and legal framework of the agency's work, which initially focused on European uprooted by the war. Beginning in the 50s, Displacement caused by other conflicts broadened the scope of the UNHCR and commensurate with the 1967 protocol to the refugee convention. These are two legal frameworks, which expanded the geographic and temporal scope of refugee assistance. The UNHCR operates across the world with the bulk of its activities in developing countries by its 65th anniversary in 2015, the agency had assisted more than 50 million refugees worldwide. When the loosest trust in Geneva was still at Rue de Varombey, we could see, actually, the office of the High Commissioner from our windows. They were just opposite of the road. As of June 2020, UNHCR has over 20 million refugees under its mandate, 20 million. Consequently, its annual budget has grown from 300,000 US dollars in 1951 to $8.6 billion in 2019, making it one of the largest UN agencies by expenditure. The vast majority of UNHCR's budget comes from voluntary contributions, mostly from member states, of which the largest donors are the the US, the European Union, and Germany. The agency's work includes providing protection, shelter, healthcare, and emergency relief, assisting in resettlement and repatriation, and advocating for national and multilateral policies on behalf of refugees. In recognition of its work, UNHCR has won two Nobel prizes, one in 1954 and the other in 1981. Currently, the 11th UN High Commissioner for Refugees is Filippo Grandi, an Italian diplomat and humanitarian human rights defender. By the way, his predecessor, the 10th UNHCR High Commissioner was Antonio Guterres, the current Secretary-General of the UN. Filippo Grandi stated recently UNHCR is navigating extraordinarily difficult waters, the combination of multiple conflicts and resulting mass displacements, fresh challenges to asylum, the funding gap between humanitarian needs and resources and growing xenophobia is very dangerous, end of quote. The core principle, as Michael already said, is non-refoulement, which asserts that the refugees should not be returned to a county where they face serious threats to their life or freedom. This is now considered the rule of customary international law. The UNHCR serves what is called the 1951 Convention and its counterpart the 1967 protocol. Is that 1951 Convention still relevant? Well, the realities of conflict, violence, and persecution continue to cause displacement. Refugee protection remains urgently needed by those forced to leave their countries. The 1951 Convention and the 1967 Protocol are the only global legal instruments explicitly covering the most important aspects of a refugee's life. According to these provisions, refugees deserve, as a minimum, the same standards of treatment enjoyed by other foreign nationals in a given country, and in many cases, the same treatment as nationals. The 1951 Convention also recognizes the international scope of the refugee problem and the importance of international solidarity and cooperation in trying to resolve them. Thus, this 1951 convention has shown a remarkable resilience over the last 70 years as the nature of conflict as well as patterns of of migration have changed. Currently, it is challenged by what we call um, refugees caused by climate change. Could uh, traditional refugees caused by war be repatriated once the conditions of war were over climate change is probably not reversible. So repatriating uh, refugees from climate change will virtually impossible, challenging again, the definition of protection uh, of refugees. This is what I would just uh, uh, contribute. So Michael, the discussion is yours.
1: Thank you, Mensa. So the discussion is actually to all of you. Yes. So, so please, if you have, there's some, there's some excellent thoughts in the in the chat box. Please raise your hand if you have a comment. Um, thank you, also Mensa, for your presentation. That was really excellent. I meant to say that first. Um, Wendy Boyd has her hand raised. Wendy, go ahead. I've asked you to unmute yourself. Hello. Yes. Thank you.
3: Um. My comment is really that earlier on uh, in the chat, people were saying, what can we do as spiritual people? And obviously, that's the question that we're left with. Um, and one of the barriers, I think, that we come up against is we have to have the conversation. But there are still really negative attitudes and uh, views about um, refugeeism, immigration, etc. Um, the area I live in is actually very close to Dover, where a lot of refugees come into this country, and it's, it's you know, it's a minefield, excuse me, I don't have, I don't have the conversation. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that comes up against um, the negativity. I think one way of being positive in this is to educate ourselves with learning about the issues and the facts, as in this zoom meeting, the presentations have given a lot of facts it is difficult to contain all those but I think if I want to have the conversation then I need to inform myself more about the specifics so um, I won't go on anymore but I think you can get the idea of what I'm saying there it's overcoming this negativity towards people that we are what what the human family that we should be looking after.
1: Thank Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Yeah, I think for people of goodwill, you know, as much of this, as much as this is a tragedy, it's also an opportunity for spiritual people to sort of rise to the occasion, you know, I think there's so many people who feel very uh, deeply about this, this issue. It's a really tragic one, a really unfortunate one, but it's also, you know, there, there is stuff you can do. Some people posted links for donation. Uh, Wendy, as you said, like there's people there you can talk to. And I think it's important to remember that the spiritual work, I mean, we could also be meditating, you know, start a meditation for that or something. Um, but I think it's important to remember that the sort of, the stuff that spiritual people can do are the same things that non spiritual people can do to help the issue, which can really just be you know anything. Doesn't you don't have to solve the issue yourself, you know? All it takes is a little bit of goodwill or just addressing the problem with an open heart or or whatnot.
0: Yes,
2: just to, to add to that, I think the uh, the problem of humanity, the the whole uh, course of uh, of World Goodwill addresses um, many of the issues, and I think it's good to be informed of that. I mean, you can say, okay, we do have that that, that course, or I've read the book, but we, I think, we still need to to, um, as Wendy pointed out, to not fall into the trap of what we are uh, pushed by uh, by all the media which we see all the people you see around. Um, uh, Michael was mentioning um, just a small, a small issue uh, about uh, Angela Merkel, who opened up the borders. Well, actually, if you live in the US, you can drive from east to west and nobody will ask you to open the borders. The borders are simply open. That's the same in Europe. But the media are saying, well, uh, Angela Merkel is opening the borders. She is, she is not. The borders are open. She is only saying, well, look, the borders are open so people can come in. And that's just this positive thought that Europe tries to be open. I'm, unfortunately, I'm living in Switzerland. Switzerland is not part of Europe and why? Switzerland tries to keep its border closed. It's a very civilized civilized country, but because it keeps its border closed, it is not part of Europe because Europe says, okay, if you want to be part of Europe, you have to open up your border. But I think these are very basic things And we can build upon those things in our mind to build up a a thought form, well, which really opens the borders.
0: Just a quick um, thing from the chat. Somebody has said, "Please speak specifically about the impact of the four-three on this this issue." I don't know; that might be quite a complicated one to talk about. But if you have any thoughts, that's a
1: very big topic. <laughs> um, I mean, the fourth ray is uh, definitely associated with war, and so um, and conflict, and I think. You know, there's always the lower and the higher aspects of the rays, because they flow through everything. They're the highest sort of source of spiritual energy. You know, the seven spirits before the throne of God, they're even higher than the the constellations themselves, the zodiacal constellations. And yet they permeate even the lowest aspects of the human personality and condition as well. So there's these sort of lower and higher aspects of the rays. We can imagine that humanity, you know, we have this certain... Uh, we're the fourth kingdom in nature, so we're really conditioned by the fourth ray of harmony through conflict. And, uh, you know, that has both its, its negatives and its pluses. You know, there's, you know, inter- interstate war has almost totally disappeared um, in the last few, three, two and a half, three decades or so. Um, but civil conflict is still really, really prevalent, and there's still a lot of conflict in the world. And some say it's even actually worse, worse than ever. There's actually, there's actually more. The civil conflict is actually in some ways worse than the inter- interstate conflict um, by some metrics. But anyway, my point is that, you know, we still have this conflict, but there is a, sort of a process occurring where we're raising it up sort of to that higher aspects of the fourth way, which is one of harmony. Um, of of synthesis and of um, sort of recognition of the relationship of the whole. Um, so I think the refugees are just sort of, you know, it's it's a transition time. It's like a it's a di- and it's a really difficult time. And um, but I think if you really look at the bigger picture, you can see steady progress. And so I hope that gives people some hope at least, you know, because it can be a very depressing, very depressing issue. I
0: think um, one, other, one other thing uh, to remember is that, of course, that the fourth ray is alleged to be coming into Power after two thousand twenty-five. So it's we see a steady, steady building of that energy, and hopefully at that point, as you see the the higher aspect of harmony will begin to control and condition human thinking.
2: Well, I think if you see it in the long run, there is a lot of progress. I mean, if you look about, uh, let's say five, six centuries ago, we were in the middle ages, there were wars all over the place and there was really no legal framework or no common global framework to manage all that. After the second world war, we had to, to boast um, the, United, the establishment of the United Nations, the human rights, the establishing of the human rights. And the, I think these are major uh, major uh, ba- breakthroughs from a global perspective. Of course, we are only, but only now, 70 years later. But that's really nothing. And I think we, uh, talking uh, as a, the, the group of world servers, we can continue to contribute to that energy, which is going to to harmony um, in in a positive way. That this doesn't mean that as, as Michael said that we can uh, we ourselves or individually can solve all the world problems. I don't think that that's what it is what's meant. but if you see it in a longer perspective, um, there is still a lot of work to be done but there is also already a lot of
1: work done. I think Thank you minsa. and uh, what you just said actually uh, brings up something else in my mind, and that's that, you know, we can't solve all the world's problems, but actually in terms of, you know, some people are suggesting, oh, we need to look at the problems in those countries and fix them that have caused the refugee situation in the first place. Um, I think it's important to note that oftentimes the UN also can't fix a country's problems for it. That's not the way the UN works. The UN can't just, if a country's having a political crisis that they're having some sort of like a domestic uprising uh, or something like that, you know, the UN is is not able to go in there. There's nothing, there's really almost nothing the UN can do in terms of its sort of material involvement in telling a country what to do in relation to its own domestic policies. What it can play a really important role in is mediation and of building those stronger and stronger and stronger relationships so that over time conflict becomes much less likely. And then at the point when Uh, two sides in a civil conflict do do get to a point where they've sort of exhausted each other. There's a sort of recognized stalemate. The UN plays a really, really important role in uh, sort of mediating resolution to that conflict. So sort of like same could be said of, of an individual as well. Like You know we want to sometimes help our friends get through certain crises they're having in their life but ultimately that friend has to basically do it for themselves you know you can you can't actually do uh do it for them you know you can only just support them and they have to sort of work out and sometimes you know people have really serious problems just just know uh, it just takes time in the end it just takes time One other thing, of course,
0: to remember is that we we have talked a lot about the UN. The UN is very important, but there are also other bodies involved in uh, in other NGOs who work with migrants and refugees. So it's not just the UN. And actually, it's it's humanity's responsibility, ultimately, as we express our, our our. Opportunities for servers through the new group of world servers, but I see that there's a couple of hands up. Um, shall I just ask Joshua to unmute
1: himself? Go ahead, Joshua.
4: Hi everyone. Thanks for the uh, thoughtful and and balanced talk on on this issue. I think uh, it's pretty important. Um, I I think it it is important to to look at it from both sides, as, as was sort of alluded to. Um, And to not write off people's concerns, because in doing that, you if you can't reconcile with your fellow countrymen who disagree over an issue, how is the country going to reconcile with people from another country coming in. So to be able to have that conversation is the first step towards, uh, I guess, the harmony aspect of the fourth ray but you have to allow for the conflict. If it stops at, oh, these people are wrong and I'm right or, you know, whatever, you can't have that, that interplay and that synthesis of um, of getting to the harmony aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it really is um, on both sides or all sides, maybe there's more than just two sides. Um, you know, there's gotta be a willingness to look at uh, various facts and things that you might not have understood about this or that issue. I mean, um, there was this woman to, to point to a sort of interesting example, Lauren Southern, sort of controversial, and she was very anti um, refugee in, in a lot of ways. And she did this documentary called Borderless. And she didn't totally change her perspective after it. But in looking at it, she had a lot more sympathy for the refugees. Um, what one interesting thing she had found out was that Obviously, a lot of these people aren't actually refugees from Syria, but they were being exploited by sort of human trafficker type people who the and these were were people who had decent lives in their home countries in in Africa. And they were told that, oh, Europe's wide open. You know, you can be a famous rapper in London. You can do this and that. And oh, by the way, burn your passport and all your documents so they can't send you back. So these people who, who weren't even poor in their country, uh, you know, were were sold a bill of goods, brought over, and now they sort of live in limbo in refugee camps, and you know it's it's a really unfortunate thing. So thanks again for the presentation.
1: Thanks, Joshua. Uh, Eleni Leviti, go ahead and uh, unmute yourself and share if you'd like.
5: Yes, uh, yes, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of um, the breadth and um, depth that is brought to life and to light (laughs) with this. And um, I am um, very, I mean, I I think what I I wanted to say is connected to what Joshua um, just uh, spoke to. And it does have to do with um, prevention and um, the energy of sanctuary that Dominic spoke to in the beginning. Um, just a couple of thoughts. Um, how to foster, um, well, what does the conflict offer, and how to foster? Um, conscious participation in understanding what lives in the conflict and and bringing that to light in the in the spirit of prevention and to um so that we can see the realities and the multiplicity of perspectives to really honor the multiplicity of perspectives which by the way i think this offering here uh today is so much that um and and in terms of sanctuary how can more consciously sanctuaries be manifested in in our earth (laughs) on our earth rather uh where the conflicts and the the different perspectives that can be driven, you know, or hijacked even by this separativeness, can, can be spoken and so hopefully integrated and, and harmonized. So, basically, how can we participate in the energy of, of um, moving toward harmonizing conflict, finding the, the harmonizing energy? in the conflict. So thank you again so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. So it's um, about 15 after now. So I think um, Dominic and Minsa, unless you guys have any further thoughts, maybe we should conclude the webinar. Okay.
0: Sorry, that's, I just want just one, one, one quick thing, uh, just quickly responding to what Lena said, uh, is that um, I was thinking of one organisation in particular, which is based in London, the St. Ethelberger Centre for Peace and Reconciliation, who do a lot of quite interesting work with um, refugees, But and obviously getting involved with organisations like that is one one way we can objectively be involved as well as a subjective support but you're you're right it's probably time to (laughs) to finish now but i think it's been a very rich sharing thank you thank you both thank you everyone for participating and so michael do you want to just
1: yeah we'll we'll just conclude with a moment of silence Thank you everyone.